We're in the season called the last Adam. The first Adam was a living being. The last Adam is a life-giving spirit. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 45. It says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. You've heard me say it every single week. What is Paul saying there? Paul is saying the first Adam was given life and chose death. Genesis chapter 2, the last Adam chose death to give us life. The name Adam means mankind in Hebrew. So he's saying we all have a choice of who we identify with. We identify with the first Adam who was given life and chose death, or we identify with the last Adam who chose death to give us life. Jesus was the last Adam, obviously. So that's the choice that we've been talking about, and that's the choice that the resurrection poses. Now, I need to do something, and I just need you to dial in with me. I've got to teach you something on the front end here, because if we don't grasp this, then the passage that we're in is going to be really, really difficult for for you to kind of justify theologically. If we go right into this tension and understand what is happening here, then everything else throughout this passage is going to make sense. So can we take five minutes and go in? Are you ready to go into something for a moment? Come on. you got to train your mind. I'm going to go in to a, to a place of theology now. I want to understand the theological meaning of already, not yet have to catch this when it comes to the resurrection, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to theology, justification, sanctification, glorification. We have to understand what it means when we say already, not yet. Because if you're, if you're living in already and you don't understand not yet, you're, you're confused on what's been fulfilled. If you're living in not yet, but you don't have the already, then there's no life to your spirit. There's no growth to your spirit. So let me, let me show you exactly what I'm talking about here. Uh, when, when I say already, not yet. What I mean is we live in this tension of we are already saved, we are already redeemed, we've already been transformed, but we are not yet saved, not yet redeemed, not yet transformed. I'll show you through scripture. Scripture, Romans 8 verse 15 says we are already adopted. Here it is. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of of adoption as sons. There you go. We're already adopted. We've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Yet Romans 8.23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly, as we, as we, as we wait, <laughs> as we wait eagerly, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So what just happened? Paul just said Romans 8.15, we've been adopted. And he said Romans 8.23, we're awaiting adoption. Already, not yet. Ephesians 1.7 says we're already redeemed. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Yet Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, Paul says in Ephesians 1.7, we've already been redeemed. He says in Ephesians 4.30, we're awaiting the day of redemption. Already, not yet. 1 Corinthians 1.2 says, To the church of God 
that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. He refers to us already being sanctified, called to be the saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by both their, their Lord and ours. Yet 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul said, those sanctified in Jesus already, those awaiting to be sanctified at the coming of the Lord Jesus, not yet. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved. You have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing, for it is the gift of God. Yet Romans 5.9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Yet not saved yet. We have been saved already, not saved yet. Already raised. Ephesians 2 verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Saying we have already been raised up and seated with Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 15 52. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Already raised, not yet raised. This theological tension that we live in. It's known as the already not yet paradox. And it is by faith we already have received, but by fulfillment there are still those things yet to come. That brings life to Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for. It's confidence of what we hope for and have for an assurance about what we do not see. Already, not yet. Nothing brings life to this tension more than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because we've been talking about over and over, what have we been saying? I have been raised to new life in Christ, and I have new life in Christ, and I have new hope in Christ, and I have new faith in Christ, and I have a new future in Christ, and I have a new purpose in Christ, all of which is true already, but not yet have you experienced the full extent of his kingdom come, his kingdom reign, his rulership, and his glory, and participated in that yet. So this tension exists with us, where we are in between where we're at with a new soul, new body, new mind, new heart, yet not where we belong, where we experience the fulfillment of all of those things. It is already not yet. It is by faith, with the assurance of things yet not seen. Do we got it? That's why you feel that tension. Following Jesus, that's why that tension exists, that you want to be fully something completely, and you can be in Christ, but the opposition and the world and the things that are coming against it create that tension. You're sinning and you know you shouldn't be. What is that? That tension. 
You're already with Jesus. You're already being transformed. You're already being renewed, yet you're not yet there where the presence of sin can no longer attack you, can no longer drag you down. It is the already not yet tension. Now that we understand that, have to understand that, when we roll into 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49, Paul jumps back and forth from already, not yet. Already, not yet. You have been raised imperishable. One day, you'll have your spiritual body. He goes back and forth with this, and we have to understand what he's doing. He is, he is just like us living in that tension. 1 Corinthians 15, 35-49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? Verse 36, this is important. Paul says, how foolish. That is such a stupid question. It's exactly what Paul's saying. What a stupid question to ask. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. Verse 38, but God gives to it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all the flesh are the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another. Fish, fish have another. Notice he's harking back on the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2. So he's, he's, and he builds to verse 45 where he compares first Adam to last Adam. Verse 40, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. In other words, he is saying it is not we all are one body, and then we just become all the same, different, angelic, wearing a halo, flapping wings, body. He's saying it is different. There, just as there are different bodies, so it will be in the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Notice the sowing and the reaping. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, our anchor verse, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth. The second man is the one of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I think the best way to teach this passage is to start with an illustration and keep it going the entire time. So here's what I want to do. I want all of us in this room, we're going to go to a car show together, okay? We're going to go down to Energy, and we're going we're gonna to go to this car show, and there's this salesman that has been pumping this up the whole time. He's saying, listen, I want you to see the most amazing, incredible car that you've ever seen in your life. You will see nothing like this ever again. Will all of you go with me? You're saying what? 
Yes, we're all going. So we show up at this car show, and we, we need a, uh, let, let's call, let's say it's, it's Dodge. Dodge that has it, because we know Ford couldn't do that, right? But Dodge has this car, and Chevy's too cute, right? But Dodge, they're an innovator. They're, they're ready. So Dodge salesman's up there, and he's saying, hey, listen, uh, this is the greatest car you've ever seen. You've never experienced anything like it. You know nothing like it. Nothing will compare to it. It is a game changer. Are you ready? We're like, yeah, yeah. Show us the car. And he pulls back the tarp and what you see is an identical replica of the 2000, the 2020, I don't know, car years are always like five years ahead. You can buy 2025 F-150 right now. No, it's like, it's the 2022 Dodge Charger. And you see it, and it looks exactly like the 2021 and 2020 Dodge Charger. So we're all sitting here, and we're saying, thought this was supposed to be the most amazing, incredible, innovative, game-changing car that we've ever seen. Why are we looking at something that we've already seen before? And the salesman gets up, and he says, here's what you need to know. The reason this is different from any other car that you've ever experienced, that you've ever seen, that you've ever known, has nothing to do with the body, has nothing to do with the interior, has nothing to do with the specs, has nothing to do with the engine. That's all the same. The difference is this. The fuel that you put in it will never have to be refilled again. It will never have to be refilled again. You won't have to go find a charging station to charge up a battery. It is nothing. It is a one time you fill it full of fuel and that fuel makes it run forever and ever. And it runs faster. It runs cleaner. It runs stronger. And you never, ever have to refill it again. So in other words, it's not the car that is the most innovative, incredible, amazing thing that you've ever seen. It's what fuels the car that changes everything. Understand this. This passage is not about a different body. It's not about physical body versus spiritual body. That would be to suggest that one of the cars that we're looking at is made of aluminum and the other car is made of wood and all these other... No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. Paul is saying what fuels the vehicle is what changes. N.T. Wright, who is the, the leading voice on the Apostle Paul in the Pauline epistles, he says, to suggest that this were an argument between the spiritual body and the physical body is exactly what Paul is calling foolish in 1 Corinthians 15, 36. What did he say? They asked him, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? And Paul's response, how foolish. It has nothing to do with the body and everything to do with what is fueling the body. Okay, so we have two things at play here. We have the tension of already, not yet, and we have the reality that it has nothing to do with the physical body and everything to do with what is fueling that body that changes everything. With that, we're going to carry this illustration through three points, and then I'm having lunch with all of you who are ready for Ark Home. Amen? All right. Two people for Ark Home. Let's go. 1 Corinthians 15, 36 through 37. Paul says, how foolish. How foolish is the thinking when you begin to think that this is two separate bodies. What you sow 
does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. In other words, to change the fuel of the vehicle that we all see and we're all crazy about. Remember, we're at the car show. We're going to stay at the car show the whole time. To change the fuel, something has to die. He's saying to change what is fueling you, to change what is driving you, what is leading you, what is stirring up your longings and affections, something in you has to die so that the thing that is fueling you can change to a fuel that you'll never have to refill. John 12, 25 through 26, Jesus says this, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. The resurrection, first thing we get from the first section with Paul, changes what fuels me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death burial, resurrection, appearance, and ascension of Jesus. The entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is dedicated to this. The resurrection changes what is fueling me, what is leading me. Listen to Paul, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I know I've told, I told this story years and years and years ago, uh, but it's time to make fun of my grandpa again because I think it's a hilarious story. Um, my grandpa was driving back from Florida, and as he was driving back from Florida, he drove a big F-250 diesel truck, and he was pulling a trailer, and he pulled into a gas station, and he got out, and he filled his truck up, and he went inside. He wanted a snack, and he got like a Snickers bar or something, and after he got it, he went up to check out, and he said, hey, he said, uh, here, I want this Snicker bar, and I got the 30 gallons of diesel in the truck out there, and the guy looked at him, and he said, sir, we don't sell diesel here. And he said, no, 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 yeah, you, you got diesel. He said, it's, a, it's the one with the green handle out there. And he said, sir, we're a BP station. All of our handles are green. And he looked out there, and he recognized that all of the handles were green, not just the diesel handle. You know what he had to do? He had to have that truck towed from Florida all the way back to Kansas. He had to have a mechanic literally rip that thing apart, drain every ounce of fuel, check all the fuel injectors and everything, and literally it was the biggest disaster he had ever had. It was like 28 hours to get the truck there and everything else simply because he put the wrong fuel in it. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying if you are new in Christ, you've been redeemed in Christ, and you're living a resurrected life, you cannot live the life Christ wants you to live with the old fuel that you used to get from the world. He's saying what, what's fueling you has to change, and in order for that to change, something has to die. We prefaced it in only Jesus. What is it that's stealing my affections from Jesus? What is it that's trying to fuel my life, that's lying to me, that can promise me things that it can't deliver on, versus fueling my life with the resurrection of Jesus, with the new life of Jesus? And then Paul gives them what fuels it. Paul gives them the fuel. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44, I love this. He says, so will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable 
it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Remember, already, not yet. So we can read this passage and say already, and we can read this passage and understand not yet. I'll read it already. I have been sown perishable, but I am raised imperishable. I know when I die on this earth where I'm going to wind up, and that's eternity with Jesus. I have been sown in dishonor. I've been raised in glory. I have a shameful, embarrassing past, and Jesus has redeemed me and set me free from that so that I can do what he's called me to do. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. I was weak. I struggled and battled with all sorts of sin. Raised in power. The Holy Spirit in me empowers me to stand up against temptation and to overcome those things. And then he says, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. I am not here. I am there. This is just flesh and bones operating here. But my heart is there. My head is there. My life is there. Everything that I am is there. That's all that I care about. That's all that I long for. That's all that I want is more of that. Yet we can say, not yet. I don't know about you, but I'm perishing. I got these gray hairs coming in everywhere. And I got this little spot right here that I don't know. I'm just, only that's why I stay on stage and I don't look down too much. I don't want you seeing. But it's like, it's happening. I'm perishing. I'm not yet in the full place of honor with the Lord. I still let the Lord down. I'm still just a man given to weakness given to challenges. I'm not fully raised in power. I'm still in a natural body. I'm not in a spiritual body yet. What Paul is saying is we change what is fueling us and then we are being transformed. We're being transformed where the inner me is getting younger while the older me is getting older. Come on, where are my seniors at on that one? The inner me is getting younger, even if the older me, the outer me is getting older, right? Because the Lord's doing a work in here. He's transforming in here. He's changing things in here. Uh, my, our spring break um, <laughs> was an absolute disaster. The Sunday before spring break, my wife was working out in our garage and landed wrong on this box jump that she was doing and badly, I'm talking badly, badly sprained her ankle. Rolled that thing up really, really bad. Could not walk. We had to borrow crutches from a neighbor. That was on Sunday. And on Monday, spring break starts and all my kids are home. <laughs> right? I was joking with Corey. We were talking about this because he was in a similar spot. And I was like, I think I'll make it until about Wednesday. And then my wife will be like, you have to come home right now. I, cannot, I can't do this any longer. No, I didn't even make it past Sunday. I was, I was home on Monday. She couldn't even carry the baby. It's like, hey, I need to move from the couch to the chair. Can you come pick the baby? <laughs> Let me just tell you, the Lord was working on me during that week. There were times where I could have had a better attitude and been a better husband, I promise you. I'm growing in bedside manner big time. I grew up in locker rooms where it was like, you don't crawl in, you, you don't call in, you crawl in. You, you die and I don't care. Rub some dirt on it and let's go. That don't work in marriage, right? Like, okay, I'll carry the baby. Okay, I'll do the dishes. Okay, I'll help with all the bedtimes and everything else. And I'm, I'm doing all of this. And then um, everything kind of hit ahead when my son was doing something he shouldn't be doing. 
Um, shocker there. He was in the backyard, and he had this big, long board, and he was like, Daddy, I'm going to make a ramp. And I said, don't do that. I literally said, word for, don't do that. Don't do that means try it with all your might to my son. So he puts the board on this chair, and he climbs up on it. And as he's, he's holding the top, and he's climbing up on this board, and the board begins to slide, pinching his hand between the board. And so he's screaming. He's standing on his own fingers on the board, screaming, Dad! Dad! I feel like my fingers are going to rip off, Dad! So I'm sitting there, and I'm holding the baby, and I was like, oh, what? You know, so I set the baby down right there on the couch where I was, and I run outside, and I, I pick him up right as I pick him up and begin to come inside. He's, oh, my fingers are gone, you know? And then I look, and my wife, Anna, is screaming, no, no, no. I look, and my four-month-old son decided to learn for the very first time how to kick his feet and roll, and rolls right off the couch. Thunk. Hits the ground. So then she is, <laughs> what happened? You know, she's trying. She re-injures her ankle. She's freaking out about the baby. My son is screaming. He's lost four fingers, right? And she's like, call 911. Call 911. Call 911. So I was like, look, the only way I'm getting out of this is calling 911. So I, I called. I was like, hey, um. They were like, sir, what is your emergency? I was like, everything. <laughs> this whole house is falling apart. Just send an ambulance right away. So an ambulance shows up. They knock on the front door. They said, sir, what's wrong? And I was like, well, wife's sprained the ankle. Baby fell. Kid snapped his fingers in half. And I, I don't know. Come on in. And they came in. They checked the baby. They checked Canaan. They checked Anna's ankle. And then they finally were like, yeah, I, I think you all are, are good. Just, you know. Enjoy the rest of your spring break. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And then my daughter, like, wakes up and stands at the top of the stairs, had no clue what anything happened. She is me in human flesh. She's just like, what's wrong with all you guys? <laughs> what is going on here? So needless to say, spring break was intense. It was a struggle. So on Friday night, it was the first time that, like, Anna could walk and we had some relief. We said, hey, let's go on a date night. A really nice date night. Not throw on athletic clothes and go get two for 20 at Chili's. Let's go... To a, we deserve it. We've earned it. We're still together after this mess. Let's go on a date night. So we went, and we went to a restaurant in the Woodlands, and everything had like two-hour waits. And there was this one table that was sitting on the patio, and we went, and we sat down on this gorgeous, the weather was incredible Friday night. It was like 70 degrees. It was beautiful. We had no kids. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Our cell phones were on do not disturb. And we were sitting there and we enjoyed a beautiful, beautiful meal in a beautiful setting on a patio with lights and music. I mean, it was just perfect. It was perfect. And in the middle of it, we looked at each other and I said, do you know what I love so much about this? You know what I love so much about this date with you? She said, what? I said, it's the fact that we don't need it. I don't have to have this. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It's a blast. And I love it. And I'm so glad. But I don't need this. We have everything that we need. We have everything that we need. Now, now I say that to say I have friends who would say, I have to go out on Friday night. I have to post something so everybody sees me. 
I have to be doing this, or I have to have something in the world that gives me gratification and satisfaction so that I can feel like I actually, and it's, and when you begin to become transformed by the resurrection, you get to a place where this, I don't, I don't need this. I don't need any of this. It's a blessing. And it's wonderful, and it's great, but what Paul is saying is what was sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. I don't need the perishable anymore. I have what is imperishable, so everything else is a blessing. Challenges, a blessing. Beautiful date nights, a blessing. What? It's all blessing because I don't need it. That's the transformation that is occurring. Raised in dishonor, sown in glory. Raised earthly, sown spiritual. The transformation that takes place is a reliance and a soul satisfaction in Jesus. That's what the resurrection does. That's what the resurrection begins to transform. And then he finishes right here, uh, probably my favorite part. Oh, by the way, let's go back to the car show, okay? So we're at the car show, and in the middle of the car show, most incredible car you've ever seen, you fill it up one time, and it never has to be refilled again, and then we finish, right? And then he says, and oh, by the way, there's one more thing. Not only do you never have to refill it again, but also with this fuel... You'll never have any body issues. You'll never have any mechanical issues. Anything that pops up, it will heal it. It will restore it. If there's a dent, a door dent in the side of your car, that fuel will go throughout the door and it will pop that dent out. If the engine is running funny, it will fix the engine right away. Not only does it fill up and never run out, but you never ever again have a mechanical issue, a challenge, or anything like that. Watch what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 45-49. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. Verse 49. Just as we have, have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I love 1 John 3, 2 to complement this. It says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet. Did you see the already not yet right there? We are children of God, we are not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Last trick with the car. So you got this incredible car, and it runs on this fuel that never runs out. And not only does it never run out, but you never have any mechanical issues. There's only one, there's only one trick. You can pay for it now, but you don't own it until you die. That's where Paul wraps up here. So we live in the tension of already, not yet. So we have resurrection power. We have the Holy Spirit of God. But we don't own it completely until already, but not yet, until we see him as he is. Here, here's, here is one conviction that I have. 
that we spend five weeks talking about the resurrection. And my desire, I really want to make application because I think majority of us don't recognize the power we have right now in the resurrection. But what I don't want to do is overemphasize the resurrection power that we have right now so that we don't look, so that we do look past what awaits us. Because we all know this, even though we have the power now. The future is what we're living for. And the future is that new body. It is that new life. It is that spiritual man when we are fully resurrected with Christ and he is reigning. I'll tell it to you this way. My 91-year-old grandma FaceTimed me yesterday. Cute, right? Never saw below her nose. I don't know what it is with old people in FaceTime. But they hold the phone like right here. And all I saw was her, her beautiful little eyes, and you never, never, I was going to post a picture of it, but she is still alive, and she will kill me if she sees me post that picture. I screenshotted a bunch of them, but um, no, we're living in this reality with her that her health is not good. And she had a surgery a month ago, and after she had that surgery, she was in the hospital, and, never, and then she moved to a rehab facility, and I was asking her yesterday, I said, uh, on FaceTime, I said, um, how are you doing? She said, and I said, "Uh, what are you going to do when you get out of there? And she said, if I get out of here. I said, chances are I won't. I said, okay. I said, how do you feel about that? And we've we've talked about this. And I said, how do you feel about that? She said, Luke, I'm 91 years old. She said, when you're 91, you've lived a lot of life. And she said, to be honest with you, I'm excited about what's next. Let me tell you something. When we talk about the resurrection, there is no greater peace. There is no greater hope. There is nothing greater that you can stake your life on than being able to utter that statement. I'm excited for what's next. I am excited for what's next. My life is coming to an end. I know it's coming to an end. My soul is getting younger, but my body is getting older. My spirit is growing and longing more for heaven, but my body is beginning to waste away. Yet I know what is next, and I cannot wait for what is next. That's faith and fulfillment. Faith transforms us now. Fulfillment transforms us in the future.